A lot of men don't participate in congregational singing. We might assume it's a spiritual problem on his part. He's being hard-hearted, he's not walking with God, or he's having marriage problems, or he's trying to quench the Spirit. But more often than we realize, the problem may be much more simple and straightforward. He doesn't like the songs. Modern church music sounds like professionalized and commercialized music that alienates men. And since men don't like being forced to do things they're not good at, they choose not to sing it. Whenever we gather for worship, we're not spectators, we're participants. We're joining with the angelic host to magnify the greatness of our God. Even the angels sing to the Lord. But if your church is set up like a rock concert, the congregation is just going to stand there like an audience watching a performance. The Bible doesn't treat church music like the warm-up act before the sermon. Congregational singing is an essential ingredient in biblical worship, and church leaders need to do all they can to maximize participation. Music shapes the soul, and it is one of the strongest ways to set the tone of the church. We sing because our God is infinitely worthy of all praise, and singing is how he tells us to express it. And more often than you think, men will participate in congregational singing if they're led properly. It's not as hard as it sounds. I've been a pastor for 15 years, and I've led worship for several years before that in churches and at large conferences. I've got a lot of experience as a musician, a worship leader, and a pastor. And I want to show you seven things you can do to help people sing in church. The first one is the most important. Pick good songs. Good song selection will get you 75% of the way there. I just made that number up. I don't know if it's 75%, but it's a big, big part of the worship leader's job. What I want to stress is how important song selection is. Picking good songs is arguably the most important task of the worship leader. Everything else flows out of this responsibility. I mean, think about it. As a preacher, the preacher puts words in the congregation's ears, but the worship leader puts words in their mouths. Don't take that lightly. People might forget what the sermon was about by the time they get to the car, but a powerful song could stick with them for a really long time. Number two, ignore what mainstream worship leaders are doing. Here's the thing. Contemporary Christian music is market-driven. Their music is purposely written with vague words to reach the broadest possible audience. That's why so many worship songs sound like they could be singing to some pagan flower god. And contemporary Christian music, they need to sell their product to stay in business. And Christian record companies are owned by secular record companies. Profit is king in that environment. All that means is that it is generic enough to appeal to anybody who might consider themselves Christian. Catholics, Mormons, and your kooky aunt who thinks young Obi-Wan Kenobi is Jesus Christ. Contemporary worship songs have a five-year shelf life. When you randomly hear it again in 15 years, you'll be embarrassed that you ever liked it in the first place. These pop worship songs are designed to bypass our thinking faculties and work directly on our emotions. That's why all the gigachurches have black box stages, laser light shows, booming subwoofers, and fog machines. It's meant to look, sound, and feel like a rock concert that whips people up into a trance-like euphoria while convincing them it's the Holy Spirit. It's not. Church music has two purposes. One, 
to magnify and exalt the triune God for his greatness and saving acts for his people, and two, to edify and instruct his saints in essential Christian truths. Number three, pick dog songs, not cat songs. Let me tell you what I mean by this. I heard a joke once about the difference between cats and dogs and their religious beliefs. Whenever dogs think of God, they think, you feed me, you take care of me, you love me, you must be God. Whenever cats think of God, they think, you feed me, you take care of me, you love me, I must be God. We can apply this joke to worship music. So cat songs are songs that are the most contemporary Christian worship music that you would hear. It's religious music that celebrates human beings for how great we are, how religious we are, how devoted we are, and how much we can accomplish for God and so forth. This kind of music catechizes people into a kind of therapeutic self-worship where God saves us and forgives us because that's his job and he's lucky to have us. Those are cat songs. Dog songs are songs that edify and strengthen a congregation because it focuses mostly on God and his strength and his majesty and his power, his justice, mercy, love, his victory over sin, the world, and Satan. Those songs aren't about us. They're about God. He's the object of worship, and we are edified because we are the ones that are singing them. Number four, sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. That's how Colossians 3 and Ephesians 5 tells us to sing. It's three categories of unique kinds of music. Psalms are the text of the biblical psalms set to music. And by this, I don't mean a few words and phrases cherry-picked from a psalm, but to sing the words of the psalm itself and the, the words that preserve the text of Scripture as closely as possible. A recent article said it this way, The Psalms cultivate a distinctive ecclesial ethos. The Psalter plunges the singer into the rough play of the real world. The world of the Psalms is full of evil men set on destruction. It's a bewildering world, and the psalmists honestly acknowledge their fears, doubts, pain, sorrow, and confusion. Check the notes in this video for a couple of recommendations of worship leaders who have done a great job setting the Psalms to music. The next category are hymns. Hymns are songs that are doctrinally rich and they have a transcendent quality to them. Think about songs like Holy, 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 or A Mighty Fortress, or Come Thou Fount, things like this. These songs stand the test of time because they are beautiful and they edify God's people. You've probably got in your church basement dozens of hymnals gathering dust right now. And you may not know this, but the written notes in the hymnal were not written for the pianist or the organist to play. Those notes were written so that people can sing different parts and harmonies with that song. So if you're new to this, just choose one hymn per week and tell your people you're going to lead it old school. You might even you know, teach people to sing parts. And don't ruin it by adding a chorus to it. Sing it the way it's written and you'll see what I mean. People will be edified by it. And as an added bonus, here's another tip. Big production worship music is not the key to church growth that you've been told it is. Every church down the street has a rock band and most of them sound lame. If you want to reach the next generation, give them tradition and substance. They are hungry for it in a world that has totally disregarded these things. The third category are spiritual songs. And these songs are more simple and expressive. They could be like a simple chorus with a refrain. They might be a little more repetitive. 
They can even be feel-good crowd pleasers, but they don't have the staying power of the other two. Now, when you take these three together, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, you can think of it like serving a meal. The psalms are the meat. That's the main course. The hymns are the side dish, the vegetables. And the spiritual songs are the sweets. That's the dessert. And you're feeding your congregation a balanced musical diet by prioritizing music in that order. Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Number five, pick songs people like to sing. I know that sounds crazy, but do it. Pick songs that people like to sing. Now, of course, it's somewhat subjective and a matter of taste, but here we go anyway. Just because somebody would sing the song in their car or in the shower, that doesn't mean they want to sing it in church. And just because a song is pleasing to the ear doesn't make it a good song to sing congregationally. People are going to stop singing and start spectating when the rhythm or cadence of the song is too difficult, if the melody is too complicated, if the range is too high and you have to be this super tenor to sing it. The professional singer on the recording might sound amazing, but your job isn't to sound like the professional. Listen to this song that's playing in the background. We'll be all right if the Lord be our strength. We'll be all right if the Lord be our strength. We'll be all right if the Lord be our strength and the Lord is our strength. This is a song by a worship leader and pastor named Brian Sovey. This song has a very singable and memorable melody. It's got a cadence that's easy to follow. Listen to it. That's a very easy cadence to follow. And the melody is a is a triad, a major triad and a minor triad. And it's quite masculine. It stands out because it is patterned after a traditional type of music that was written to be sung rather than written to be recorded. So think of sailors on an old sailing ship. You know, they're swabbing the deck and they're keeping time by singing music that rhythmically syncs with the motions of their work. People like to sing that kind of music because it was written primarily to be sung. Number six, sing about the victory of Christ. Pop worship music is emotive and effeminate and masculine men don't like it very much. The lyrics focus on personal, sentimental, vague religious feelings at the expense of magnifying the glory and majesty of God. So put it another way, it's too much romantic love songs about Jesus and not enough warfare. Men don't like singing love songs to other dudes. There's too much therapeutic introspection and too little duty, conquest, and valor in modern worship music. Watch this clip here. Now, what are you hearing? It's only voices. And notice the melody is simple and accessible. This song is a hopeful victory cry that Jesus has overcome the world. And the song is in a minor key, which gives it a warlike intensity. Powerful words, and what it evokes is this sense of victory and conquest, and that Jesus has overcome. And that's important, especially in the modern world where people are desperate for hope. And these kind of songs really soothe the soul and inspire us to walk with Jesus and to persevere through difficulty. So, as that song is playing, 
What do you hear? What I hear is everyone is singing their guts out. I love seeing the little old ladies even. They're singing joyfully because they serve a risen king who has conquered sin, the world, and the devil, and he must reign until all his enemies are put under his feet. If someone were there and wouldn't eagerly join in singing this song, maybe they really do want to quench the spirit. All right, number seven, choose songs with doctrinally sound lyrics. Here's the thing. Content is king. Well-produced music produces an emotional effect by the way it sounds, and that can cover up for weak, shallow lyrics. So if you're listening to a song and you're considering singing it in church, try this. Try printing out the lyrics and reading them out loud without singing the tune. And if the lyrics can't stand on their own merits apart from a highly produced recording, ditch it. Let me give you an example. This song is one of the top songs of the last decade. Listen to these lyrics. You call me out upon the waters, the great unknown where feet may fail. And there I find you in the mystery, in oceans deep, my faith will stand. I will call upon your name and keep my eyes above the waves. When oceans rise, my soul will rest in your embrace, for I am yours and you are mine. I, what is this song even about? It's, it's a big word salad that means nothing and says nothing. I can't believe this is like one of the top worship songs of the last decade. It's meaningless. And it's a cat song. I mean, it's a song all about how great we are and all the ways that we're going to believe God and trust in God. But this song really doesn't say anything. It sounds like you're just standing on the beach waiting for God to come along and give you a hug. It's meaningless drivel. And now, if you want to put that in your car and sing it, knock yourself out. But that's not a good worship song for church. That's not the kind of lyrics that you ought to put in the mouths of God's people and tell them, sing this. So let me give you a rule of thumb. If the worship lyrics sound like a love ballad from a boy band, skip it. Find songs that focus on God's majesty, glory, greatness. That's like rocket fuel for God's people. And the thing is, is that there is a lot of music like this out there, not just from the typical sources. And the thing is, is that there's not a lot of people that have the theological training to really write great worship music. So you've got to be really discerning and you have to discipline yourself to say no to most of the songs that'll cross your desk. Find really good songs. That is the 75%, that's the number, 75% of your job is curating a catalog of great songs that you can give to people and teach them to sing. I want to drop some sources in the show notes, and if you've got other sources to recommend, please drop those in the comments and let everyone know. So there you have it. It's not rocket surgery. Try implementing some of these changes and see if it doesn't make a big difference in your church. Thanks for watching.